0: right well god bless you who are tuning in and um about to join this uh bible study with us uh not really not really much of a bible study actually it's kind of um theological reflections as i'm kind of reflecting upon some issues in our culture today and from a theological perspective um we've taken a break from our bible study for for about a month or so, and I've really been spending quite a bit of time thinking about some of the things going on in our culture and most, most importantly, things going on with the church. Uh, because in, in, in all actuality, as Christians, our biggest question is, what does this mean for the church? What does this all mean for the kingdom of God? Because we know that the whole point, the whole point of everything is the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ is head of all things for the purpose of his body, for the purpose of the church, which is his body, which feels all in all. And so the whole point of history is for the advancing of God's kingdom and for the building up of his church. And so as we look at things going on in our culture today, the big question is not what does this mean politically, not what does this mean economically or socially. The big question is, What does this mean theologically? What is God trying to say to us in all of this? And obviously, if you've been paying attention to what's been going on so far this year, you cannot believe, especially if you are a student of the Bible, if you are a theologically minded person, you cannot believe that the things happening in our society today are just Coincidental things that they're just accidents. That um, this is just history working itself out. If God is not, if God is not in control of what's happening today, then there's no such thing as the sovereignty of God. So if God is absolutely sovereign, and God is in control of what's going on in our world today, what does it mean theologically? What does it mean for the church? What what lessons? And one of the things that, that I have been thinking about is what these events today have exposed about the true spiritual state of the Christian Church in America. In other words, this has been a time of to diagnose, as it were, the state and the health of the American Christian Church. How is the church responding to the challenges of our time today? And there's, of course, there have been these two major incidents in our society today. Two great challenges. First, we had, and we're still living through, the uh, COVID-19 virus with all of the fallout from that, including the shutting down of, our, uh, of the country and, most importantly, the shutting down of the church. Um, one thing, you know, regardless of what your opinion and what you think about things, One thing you cannot deny if you're a Christian is that the church being shut down, and I mean not for one week, two weeks, but for going on four months now, that's a serious thing. That is a serious thing. To not be able to gather for public worship with God's people and to give public, bring public worship to God and not being able to do that for, for the last four months and Uh, In a lot of churches indefinitely Because uh, a lot of churches don't know When they'll be able to reopen Uh, That's a big problem That's a big problem Because the church is not truly being the church If it is not gathering The word church means an assembly That is the nature of who we are as a church We are an assembly of people Who have been called out of the world Joined to Jesus Christ In order to belong to God and when we gather together for public worship, we are expressing our identity as God's called out assembly. But then the other thing is we've been watching in the last uh, month or so, we've been watching the explosion of the the Black Lives Matter movement. And we've been watching, protesting and um all types of demands for justice and now we're seeing some political fallout from that where you have um, people now demanding uh, the defunding of the police demanding uh, things like um, um, just all kind of things that are uh, all kind of demands that are being made to redress the problem of racism in this country. And again what does that have to do with the christian church is that just a political issue well yeah it's a political thing but the church is affected by it now this is what i want to say Um, first of all uh, things don't look good for the christian church in america things don't look good as i as i look at how the church is responding to these particular issues the lockdown and the inability to gather for worship and I'm looking at the way Christians are responding to this and as, and also as I'm looking at the way some Christians are responding to these social justice, uh, Black Lives Matter issues uh, I see some things that's, that really um, warrant some concern about the condition of the, the Christian church Now, on the one hand We don't have to worry about the church because on the one hand, the church belongs to Jesus Christ. It is his church. It is his body. And Jesus said he will build his church. And then not only that, no matter what happens uh, in terms of how the the institutional church, how the organized church, no matter how the organized church fares in the world, yet and still, Jesus is still going to preserve his remnant. He's still going to preserve, no matter what happens. He's always going to have an elect. He's going to have faithful believers that are going to be faithful to him, no matter what happens in the culture. If you remember, in the in, uh, in the book of the Kings, when Baal worship, the worship of the false god Baal, had taken had pretty much taken over the the true religion of the worship of Yahweh in Israel. The whole nation had gone over to the worship of Baal, worshiping this idol. And if you remember, the prophet Elijah became depressed and even wanted to die at one point because he felt that he was the only one left being faithful to the true and living God. And if you remember, God spoke to Elijah and told him, I have 7,000 reserved who have not bowed, bowed the knee to Baal. And so, No matter how it looks no matter if it looks like the church is falling apart no matter if it looks as dark for the for the visible church god always is going to preserve for himself a faithful remnant and then not only that some might say well really we shouldn't concern ourselves with this kind of stuff because didn't the bible say that in the last days there's going to be a great falling away didn't the Bible say in the last days, days there's going to be a great apostasy and that many are going to turn from the faith and they're going to be seduced and led astray by by damnable heresies and, and uh, doctrines taught by demons? Yes, the Bible does say that. The Bible tells us that it would be like this in the last days. However, we do not know if this is the final apostasy before the return of Christ. We don't know that. For all we know, God could pour out His Spirit and there could be a great revival upon our land. And we should desire that. We should desire that. We should desire to see the Spirit of God poured out upon His church. We should desire to see the church turn away from worldly philosophy and turn away from the ways of the world and be the true bride of Christ. We should desire that. And not only that, the Bible has never told us Nowhere in the Bible are we ever told that we are to just lay down for the devil and let him overrun the church with false teaching and with deception. Nowhere are we warned, or or rather, nowhere are we told that we ought to just lay down and let the devil wreak havoc in God's church with false teaching. We are told in the Bible to fight the good fight of the faith. We are to we are told that we are to earnestly contend for the faith which was once for all delivered unto the saints and by the faith there he's talking about the teachings that were given by the apostles the apostolic teaching we are to earnestly contend we are to diligently fight to preserve and protect and to continue proclaiming the apostolic teaching also in the book of revelation in chapters 2 and 3 when jesus sent these letters to the seven churches in asia and each of those seven later letters jesus commends the church for trying false apostles and for ridding the church of those who are teaching uh, deceptive doctrines within the church and he rebukes those who suffer false teachers in their churches So we should be concerned about this. We should be concerned about the condition of God's church. Not only that, not only should we be concerned about this, about the true state of God's church today in America, not only should we be concerned about this because God tells us to fight for the faith, but also we should be concerned about this because it is through the church that God advances his kingdom. And there is nothing that we should care about more than the advancement of God's kingdom. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus told us that the first thing we should be praying for is that God's name be hallowed, that his kingdom come, and that his will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That should be the thing we pray for before we ask our daily bread. Our biggest desire should be to see God's kingdom come. If you're you're a Christian and you say you love God, and you say you, uh, you love the Lord Jesus Christ, then your greatest concern ought to be for the advancement of, of God's kingdom. That ought to be your first priority. But now here's the thing. How can you love God and be about the advancement of God's kingdom and not care about what's happening in the church today? Because the church is the visible embodiment of God's kingdom upon the earth. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is wherever God rules and wherever God reigns. Where do we see God ruling and reigning in the world today? Well, obviously God rules over everything. God is sovereign over the whole universe. However, there is resistance against his rule rule because there's sin and there's Satan in the world. But where do we see people bowing themselves to Jesus Christ bowing themselves to the Word of God to obey His will the way it's being obeyed in heaven. That's in the Christian church. And how does the kingdom spread? How does the kingdom advance in the world? Through the preaching of the gospel when men and women hear the gospel and they repent and believe then they are brought into the kingdom of God. Well, who's been entrusted with that task? The church has been entrusted with that task. The church has been entrusted with the task of preaching repentance and faith in Jesus Christ to all the nations. So, this should be our greatest concern. If we are really Kingdom people, if we are really lovers of God, then nothing should concern us more than the state of the Christian Church, because that is the embodiment of God's Kingdom, it is the means through which God advances His Kingdom, and it is, it is God's, um, it is the fulfillment of everything God has promised in the word. The church is. So now what is the condition of the church today? Or rather, let me just say this. There's a lot of things that can be said about the state of Christianity in America today. But there's just a couple of things in particular that I have noticed with regards to um the COVID thing and with the social justice, Black Lives Matter thing that's going on in our culture today. First of all, this whole idea of being locked down and um, forbidden or rather um, just being restricted from being able to come to church for worship. Now, I remember back in March, a few months ago, I said to myself, when this thing first started, I thought that, you know, this might there, there might be some good that comes out of this. As much as I hate it to close the doors on our church, and as much as I know every pastor hated to close the doors on their church. Yet there was a sense that, you know, maybe some good might come out of this. Because being kept out of church for a couple of weeks or a month, I had no idea it would last this long. But um, this might teach the people of God to have a deeper appreciation for the privilege of gathering for public worship. Maybe this might be an opportunity for the people of God to realize how much of a privilege it is to be able to fellowship, to be able to hear the word preached, to be able to be up under the means of grace because, yeah, we can read our Bibles at home, we can watch sermons on YouTube, but Christians are going to see that that is not the same thing as gathered in the pre- gathering in the presence of God, sitting up under the the means of grace, and so I thought that this might fuel some a bit of revival actually. But I have to say to you, brothers and sisters, I I was wrong, I, I was wrong, I was um, tremendously wrong. As I kind of look around and observe what's going on, and as I um, listen to people talk and observe people's behavior, and I'm talking about Christians, I'm talking about pastors, um, there has been a sort of contentment with this situation. And I mean, not across the board. I mean, I've heard stories about churches that have reopened and it has been beautiful. But for the most part, from what I'm uh, hearing and observing, um, the majority of churches in the country has still not opened. And among those that have opened, um, a great portion of those congregations have still not returned. Now, let me just say this. This has nothing to do with what a particular individual or particular church feels is necessary to keep people safe. This has nothing to do with that. What this has to do is with people's attitude towards gathered worship. And what what I've been observing is that there's sort of been an acceptance of this. I mean, even if, even, if, even if one was to make the idea, or rather, even if one was to come to the conclusion that, you know what, I don't think it's safe, I'm going to stay home. Yet, I would have to come to that conclusion with tears in my eyes. I would be brokenhearted. This thing would be tearing me up. Because there is something really missing when believers are not able to gather You cannot substitute the gathered public worship. Watching church on TV or on YouTube is not actually gathering in church. It's not the same thing. And you are missing something. If you are not gathering with God's people in God's presence, you are missing something that you need for your own spiritual growth. And you are not able to fulfill God's command to appear before him and bring him his worship. Now again, there may be times when that is the legitimate case. If you um, are vulnerable your immune system if you are elderly if 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 uh your immune system is not uh strong you you have a right to um refrain from coming back to church but i've saw i've been i've i've witnessed some of the most casual even profane i even want to say almost blasphemous attitudes expressed even from pastors over this thing as though, hey, I'm just going to kick my feet up and chill and, you know, we'll get back to church when we get back to church. And again, what that just shows me, brothers and sisters, is that, that there is a great deal, at best, of ignorance concerning what public worship is, a great deal of ignorance with regards to what the purpose of gathering is, but really it's just a, a demonstration of where people's hearts are if you can be out of church for three four months and it's just not a big deal to you then you really need to check your heart if you're professing to be a Christian and you've been out of church for four or five months or whatever and it's really haven't bothered it's not bothering you yeah you miss your friends you miss your routine but it but you're good with it You really need to check your heart. But then the other thing is this. What's going on in our country today with regards to this fight against quote-unquote systemic racism. The whole Black Lives Matter movement. The whole social justice thing. This thing is becoming an alternative religion in modern-day America. It is becoming an alternative religion. And listen, this is not an overstatement when I say something like that. It's not an overstatement. You know, I'm a, I'm a lover of history. I, I love to study history. I love the study of culture. And when you study the history of the 20th century, the main thing you uh, deal with is these radical revolutions um throughout europe and all over the world throughout the 20th century whether you're talking about the bolshevik revolution in russia or the fascist revolution in nazi germany and all these other different radical revolutions all over the world well one of the common things you you hear expressed i'm reading the book now called modern times by paul johnson and he's talking about these different uh, communist revolutions and so forth and so on. And one of the things that he mentions, and, and you hear this by many who have studied these things, that these communist revolutions and these other um, radical revolutions or these political ideologies which influence these revolutions, because all of these revolutions are influenced by particular political ideologies. Most importantly, the political ideology uh, fueling most of these revolutions is an ideology that we call Marxism, named after the philosopher Karl Marx. It was through the influence of his philosophical ideas that communism, socialism, and a lot of these radical revolutions were the embodiment of his ideas, so to speak. But one of the things that Paul Johnson and others said was that these different political ideologies are like secular religions, secular faiths. What he mean by that is this, you see Western society has fallen away from Christianity. There was a time when Western civilization was thoroughly Christian, as imperfect as it may have been, yet Western civilization was a Christian civilization. But in the modern times, Western man turned from Christianity with the onset of the Enlightenment and the Industrial Revolution, Scientific Revolution, the philosophy of Charles Darwin and Sigmund Freud and all this other stuff which has brought us into the modern era. What happened is, Western man turned from Christianity and now Western society has become a secular society a society based on secular ideals and not religion. But here's the thing, human beings are religious by nature. You can try to, you can call yourself an atheist all you want. You can say uh, I'm not religious all you want. You can push religion aside all you want. But there is a natural innate religious impulse within man which cannot be suppressed. So, how does modern man gratify that religious impulse? By these political and social ideologies, especially a lot of these radical ideologies and movements. These are like secular religions to these people. That's why you see so much passion and fervor and, and excitement and emotionalism with regards to these political and social issues. Just look at people. Look at how they're in the how they're acting in the streets. This is more than just politics. This is a religion to these folks. But now here's the thing: the social justice movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, the woke Christianity movement. All of these things have been shaped by the streams, by the same streams which fueled a lot of these radical revolutions in the past, the, a lot of these communist um, revolutions. As a matter of fact, if you see people have been sharing it on Facebook, the founders of Black Lives Matter have come out and publicly said that they are trained Marxists. If you, I don't know if maybe they've taken it down off their website now, but if you look at Black Lives Matter, if you look at their official webpage, it'll tell you that they are a Marxist organization and that their goal is to deconstruct Western society and to reconstruct a new society based on their ideals of what a society should be. But now, what does this have to do with the church? These Marxist ideologies have gained a strong foothold in the American Christian church. I mean, we'll talk about some more of this in another broadcast uh, because I'm going to be talking about this for some weeks to come. Going to be talking about this for some weeks to come. But today I just I wanna I just wanna kind of set the stage a little bit. I just wanna set the stage a little bit for some things that I'm gonna be talking about indefinitely because uh, this is a big deal the point I'm trying to make brothers and sisters is that on the one hand we are seeing a undervaluing of the things of God we are seeing a Christians professing Christians pastors expressing a very low esteem for the things of God and a, and rather being more absorbed in man-centered types of ideologies and movements and then at the same time that we are seeing this diminishing and this declining within the church we see uh, on our we see on the horizon a sort of new religion that is arising in America and i'll talk about it in some upcoming episodes here but there have been those who have shown how this social justice movement is it has its own creed it has its own canon it has its own view of salvation it is a it is a christian heresy it's a false gospel and we are seeing christians being turning away and, and, and abandoning the faith for this new, man-made, man-centered religion that is on the horizon in our country today. And so, what does the church need right now? What, what do we need to be doing? What should, how should the church be dealing with these things? And I kind of just want to talk about this by way of introduction, and we'll get into more details in upcoming episodes. But as I said before, we should desire to see revival in the church. And the answer then for revival, where does revival come from? Revival comes from God. Only God can revive his church by pouring out his spirit upon the church. But you know, the outpouring of God's spirit, that's only part of it. Because here's the thing. Even though... Revival comes from the Spirit of God and the power of God. Yet, God never works independently from His Word. There is a connection, an inseparable connection, between the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And it's been that way for all eternity. In the book of Genesis, if you remember, when God made the universe... The Bible says darkness was on the face of the deep and the, the earth was, was, was without form and void. And he says the spirit of God hovered over the, the, the great deep. And then after we were told that the spirit of God is hovering over the, this formless mass of the earth and in the dark, the spirit of God is forming. Then what happened next? God speaks. Let there be light. Let the dry ground appear. Let the waters separate. So you got this one-two punch. The word and the spirit. The spirit is maintaining and hovering hovering over and it is the word of God. It is the speech of God that declares the will of God and the spirit of God effects and brings about the outcome of what God ordains in his word. And that's how That's how God works, through the Word and the Spirit. So, yes, we need the Spirit of God. We need the Spirit of God to revive the church and to uh, build the church up. But we also need the Word of God, brothers and sisters. We need to turn back to the knowledge of God. Because here's, here's what I think the big problem is. Why is it that Christians today have such a low view of public worship? Why is it that Christians have such a low view of the things of God? And why is it that Christians are being sucked into a man-centered, world-oriented ideology? Because what has happened is we have inversed the order of things. You see? The true knowledge of Christianity teaches, first of all, it starts with God. Christianity is about God. It is about the true God of the Bible. And we learn about this God, that he's sovereign, that he's holy, he's infinite, he's transcendent, he is self-existent, he is all these infinite, unchangeable, and eternal attributes about this great and awesome God. But then the Bible teaches us something about man also. Man is a creature. God is the creator. Man is the creature. But not only is he a creature, he is a fallen creature. He is fallen, and to say that man is fallen, it means that he is sinful. He is totally depraved in his thinking, in his understanding, in his affections, in his desires, in every aspect of his being. He is sinful. And so he is utterly needy, utterly dependent upon the grace of this sovereign God for any good. And the reason that God saves this sinful creature is not because he deserves it, not because God is there to cater to man. He does it for his glory. He redeems sinful man in order to glorify the wonders of his grace. So here's the here's the here's the order. God is first. God is supreme. God is central. God is the ultimate. He is the priority. Man is a sinner. He's a creature. He's in need of redemption. Apart from the grace of God, he is nothing but sin and death and misery. But again, that is not the way. Christianity is presented in in, in American Christianity today. It's just not. It's just not. The Christian church in America today has been greatly influenced by worldly philosophy. And again, we just said that with the way we see the church going after the whole Black Lives Matter, social justice, woke Christianity stuff, all of that stuff comes from worldly philosophy. It all comes from worldly philosophy. But we've been influenced by by the world in so many ways how does the world think you know i was i was i was watching um i was watching a, a lecture or a talk that a certain guy uh did i was watching it today actually um so uh, man i've never heard of him before a guy named um thaddeus williams i think and he was giving a a, a talk and he was describing He was talking about the statistics of a particular survey that was given. And here's what he said, what was revealed in this survey. He says, 84% of Americans believe that enjoying yourself is the highest goal of life. Next, he says, 86% believe that in order to enjoy yourself, you must pursue the things that you desire most. 91% 91% affirm the statement to find yourself, look within yourself. Now, some of you might say, well, what's wrong with that? Because we've been taught this all our lives. This is, this is everything we hear and see in television, in school, in the commercials. Basically, it's, it's, it's the religion of self. It's the religion of self. This is the counterfeit American religion, that happiness, your personal happiness is the highest goal and that your life is to be caught up in the pursuit of your own personal happiness. And that in order to define what true happiness is, you need to look within yourself. You don't have to look outward to some God. You don't have to look outward to some revelation from God to know what true happiness is. True happiness is whatever you define it to be. And you don't need to be told by the word of God how to pursue happiness. You look within yourself. Do whatever you feel. Follow follow your heart, you know, is what they tell you. But this sort of thinking has gotten into the American Christian church as well. This sort of thinking has gotten into the Christian church as well, because in the Christian church, what do we teach? We teach that basically, and maybe people don't say this explicitly, but the way we do worship, the way we do our programs, the way we do church says what? God exists to make us happy. God exists in order to make us happy. We don't spend any time studying the knowledge of God. When was the last time you heard a sermon series on the character traits and the attributes of God? We don't study books of the Bible. We just jump around all over the Bible and find verses that tell us what we want to hear. And so what what has been what has been the result of all of this? The result of this is that in the Christian church we have a low view of God and an exaggerated view of man. God is not at the center, God is not the priority. God is not the ultimate end. Man is. My happiness is. And even worship. Think about this. If we were made for God, the highest expression of our relationship to God is worship. In worship, we actively demonstrate and express our heart's devotion to God. And so worship, by definition, is a god action. It's about God. But what is the typical worship service in America like? It's all about what we like. We worship God because of what we get out of it. It's about what kind of music we like. It's about what kind of atmosphere we want. You hear people saying that, you know, you know, we got to uh, create the right atmosphere. You know, the worship leader has to fix the atmosphere and, and all this other stuff that don't you don't find it nowhere in the Bible. But again, this comes from our being influenced by the culture. And again, Thaddeus Williams made this statement. I thought it was so good and true. He says, we tend to man-size God and God-sized man. In other words, what he means by this is, is what has happened in the modern Christian church is that we have brought God down to man's level and made God the same size as man, and we have exalted and exaggerated man and put him where God is. And this is why we have such a low view of worship. This is why we have such a low view of church This is why we have such a, I mean, think about this. When was the last time you heard a Christian express real zeal? I'm not talking about in passing, but real zeal about pursuing holiness and godliness. When was the last time? We don't talk, as a matter of fact, the Christian who talks about holiness and godliness is considered a fanatic. Here's another thing, brothers and sisters. We talked about the fact that the Bible says there's going to be a great apostasy before the return of Christ, a great falling away, and we're seeing seeing it now. We're seeing a great falling away. We're seeing a great apostasy right now. That's one of the things I'm talking about right now. I, I really do believe that this social justice thing that has found such inroads into the Christian church, what we are seeing is a false gospel. And as we see more and more Christians bowing to this, we are seeing an apostasy take place. But not only did the Bible say there's going to be an apostasy before the return of Christ, the Bible says that there's going to be a time of great persecution for God's people. The Bible says that before the return of Christ, and it's happening now in other parts of the world, Christians are going to be put into prison, they're going to be beaten, they're going to be betrayed and given up by family members and friends, they're going to be put to death for Jesus' sake. Now in the Bible, the Word of God tells us that the Christians rejoiced at being able to suffer for the name of Jesus. When Paul was told that when he, went to Jeru- when he goes to Jerusalem, he was going to be bound and put into prison, Paul said, I don't care. He says, I'm not only, he said, I'm not only ready to go to prison, but I'm ready to die for the name of my Lord Jesus Christ and to finish my course of preaching the gospel of God's grace. In Revelation chapter 12, when it talks about the great spiritual battle between the dragon and the woman, which is the church, it says. That the church overcame the dragon by the word of their testimony, by the blood of the lamb. And then it says they loved not their own lives, even to the death. The devil could not defeat them because they were not afraid of death. How many, how many of us today, how many Christians today are willing to go to prison and willing to die for our faith in the Lord Jesus. As I look at the way many of us has been responding out of fear to this virus, I doubt very seriously that many Christians today would be willing to go to prison or would be willing to die for the sake of Jesus Christ. What is my point? My point is, if we want to see true revival, if we want to see the church be what God meant it to be, we need to get back to some biblical godliness. We need to get back to some old-fashioned fear of the Lord. Because this is the problem. Again, we have, we have man-sized God, brought him down on our level, and we have God-sized man. I think that's the biggest problem. God our God isn't big. We don't serve a big God anymore in American Christianity. And again, this is not true across the board. There are faithful churches out there. There are faithful pastors out there. But for the most part when you look at American Christianity, we do not serve a big God. We smur we serve a man-sized God. The only way to remedy this is to get back to learning about the knowledge of God. Why did the Bible, why did God give us the old Testament before giving us the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because you cannot appreciate the gospel without first understanding the God whom we need to be saved in order to know and be reconciled unto. We can't desire to be reconciled to a God we don't know. And the Old Testament teaches us who this God is. And let me say this, and and here's the main thing that I want to close out on. How do we know that our knowledge of God is biblical? How do we know that our knowledge of God is biblical? Here's the key. We know that our knowledge of God is biblical and theologically faithful when it produces the fear of God. When it produces the true fear of God. When it produces true godliness, piety, and reverential awe. That's the characteristics of the Christians in the Bible. Read about Noah, Abraham, Daniel, Isaiah, the Apostles, all the saints in the Bible, they were all known for a deep reverential awe and piety and the fear of God. This is why Paul could say in the face of prison, I'm ready to go to prison, I'm ready to die. This is why the Christians in the Bible can be beaten And then rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name's sake. This is why those Christians in Revelation 12 loved not their lives unto the death. Why? Because they were gripped and entranced with a vision of an awesome and majestic and transcendent God. The God they knew and served was an infinite, mighty God, almighty God, absolutely sovereign, glorious in majesty and holiness. That's the God they served and knew. And that's what made them so powerful. That's what made them so powerful. It was their piety. It was their godliness. It was their fear of God. We don't even use words like that today. We talk about being healed. The therapeutic. We're the therapeutic generation. We want healing. We need to be healed. We need to be made whole. We don't care about holiness. We don't care about godliness. We just wanna feel better. We just wanna be comforted. That's because our God is a man-sized God. And we have made ourselves into God-sized men and women. If we want to see true revival, we need to recover the fear of God. And the only way we're going to recover the fear of God is by a recovery of the true knowledge of God. I was reading the book of Exodus today in my devotions, And I was reading Exodus chapter 20, the giving of the Ten Commandments. And if you remember the setting, well, back to Exodus chapter 19, actually. If you recall the setting, Moses tells, or God tells Moses to go down and prepare the people. He says, I want you to consecrate them for two days. Today and tomorrow, I want you to consecrate the people. And on the third day, I want you to bring them before me at the Mount Horeb there in Sinai. And God said, I'm going to appear to you. And that's when God came down on Mount Sinai and gave the Ten Commandments. So for two days, Moses and Aaron and the priests are consecrating the people for two days. They were to wash their clothes. They were told not to go near their wives. They were to consecrate themselves and prepare themselves to meet God. And then the Bible says, early that morning on the third day, early in the morning, a loud trumpet starts blasting. And then there's lightning and thunder and fire and smoke on the top of the mountain. The mountain is trembling and shaking. The glory of God comes down upon the mountain. And Moses brings the people to the edge of the mountain. And the Bible says they were terrified. Even Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that Moses, even Moses said he was terrified. But then I want you to notice what God said or what Moses said to the people after that scene in Exodus twenty, eighteen through 20. It says, now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. And said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. You see that? God showed the people a glimpse of His awesome majesty in order that he might teach them the fear of God and it's the fear of God that would keep them from sinning you see the fear of God is the soil from which all Christian obedience all Christian worship everything we do in the honor of God it flows from the fear of God we don't just worship because we got a good feeling because the praise team is up there tearing it up. We don't just worship because we feel good. We worship because our hearts are full of the fear of God. But you don't fear God without having some knowledge of his awesome majesty. The reason God came down on the mountain in this way was to demonstrate the greatness of his majesty and teach them to fear, to fear who he is. And this is the goal of religion, the fear of God. This is what, what it is to know God. This is what our relationship with God is about. The essence of it is the fear, the fear of God, excuse me. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, it says the end of the matter, the end of what matter? Solomon looked at the whole point of life. He looked at every aspect of life from a humanistic perspective. And then he says, "Okay, I've looked at all of it. Here's the summary. Here's the conclusion. What's the point of life?" That's the whole point of the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is asking, "What is the point of life?" What he says in Deuteronomy, uh, I'm sorry, in Ecclesiastes 12:13, "The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man." You see that's the that's the summary that is the conclusion of the matter to fear god and keep his commandments that is the whole duty of man to fear god you can't fear a god you're ignorant of and you can't fear a god who resembles your grandfather or santa claus the the the, the fear of god is born from the knowledge of the God of the Bible, the same God who appeared before Moses and Israel at Mount Sinai in the cloud, the same God who appeared before Isaiah and caused Isaiah to say, Woe is me when he saw this glory, glorious, majestic God seated high and lifted up upon his throne. The fear of God is born from knowing that God. But this is the essence. This is the goal. This is what we have been saved for. Deuteronomy 10 and 12. It says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? Now, this was after Moses had given them the law. And he's summarizing the law. And he's saying, so this is what the law is telling you to do. This is what this is what you are required. This is what God requires of you. The first thing he said is to fear him. Fear God. The word of God is referred to as the fear of God. In Psalm 19 and 9, the word of God is called the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Why? Because the goal of what the Word of God is aiming to teach you is how to fear God. I want to read one last verse. I thought this was beautiful. I was reading this earlier. In Malachi 3, 16 and 17. In Malachi chapter 3, God was talking about how the Jews were speaking evil of God. God's covenant people. Those who were supposed to be God's people, they were speaking evil of God. They were saying, it's no profit to serve God. It's to no avail for us to serve God. They were speaking evil of God. But I want you to notice who God took notice of. As his people were speaking evil of him, I want you to notice what God took notice of. In Malachi three sixteen and 17, it says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another the Lord paid attention and heard them and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name they shall be mine says the Lord of hosts in the day when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him that's a beautiful passage if you read that in his context The people of God were speaking evil about God. But then it says those who feared God. Who who were these people? They were the ones who feared God. They spoke with one another. In other words, it was a time of apostasy. It was a time of unfaithfulness. God's people were being unfaithful. But in the midst of that unfaithfulness, there was a group of. Of people who were speaking to each other encouraging each other and what was the characteristic of these people they were those who feared the Lord in the midst of the apostasy and decline those who feared the Lord came together and encouraged each other and God took notice of it it says the Lord paid attention and heard them in a time of apostasy in a time of unfaithfulness In a time of declension, God is listening to those who fear him. Those who reverence him. Those who are in awe of him. And God, the Bible says that Lord listened to them and paid attention to them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared him and those who esteemed his name. They had a high esteem for God's name. By the way, what was the first thing Jesus told us to pray for? Hallowed be your name. May your name be regarded as holy. These are the people that God pay attention to. This is what God wants. He wants a people who esteem him. He wants a people who fear him. Not a people who just want blessings and gifts. Not, well, you get the idea. Don't want to sound too negative. Might be too late. But, brothers and sisters, this is what the church needs. On the one hand, I'm a little saddened and grieved by what I'm seeing in the culture today and how it's affecting God's church. But at the same time, I'm hopeful because God is still in control. It's still God's church. And I'm going to go down swinging. I don't know about you, but I'm going down swinging. I'm not, you know, when I was in the streets, I I wasn't no punk in the streets and I'm not going to be a punk for the Lord. I'm going down swinging. I'm going to teach and preach the faithful word and nothing else and nothing else. But the thing is this, if we preach the word, God will honor and bless and he will cause his word to bear fruit. But we know that we are being faithful in the preaching of the word when we are preaching the true knowledge of God and when we are preaching the mystery of godliness. We are preaching the knowledge and the doctrine that leads people into the fear of God. And where is the image and glory of God most seen? It is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ Is the image of the invisible God as we preach and teach God our preaching and teaching of God should lead us to the Lord Jesus Christ the Son of God he has declared the Father he is the Word made flesh and so brothers and sisters now is the time to look to Jesus and to the Word of God more than ever And so, brothers and sisters, this is kind of just the introduction. We're going to be talking about this some more in episodes to come until next week at six o'clock. Well, yeah, six o'clock. God bless you, brothers and sisters. Have a great and godly week.